bestie. Hiya. Stop it. Hi. Welcome back. Oh my gosh, it's been um, a whole five minutes. How have you been? But actually, it's not even welcome back. It's welcome in the first place. Because welcome. for us, <laughs> this is like episode 17. So, um, but for you, <laughs> but for you, for it's you, episode one. The listener? You're brand new. How did you how did you get here? Look you at don't you. even know how you got here. Can You're you like, even walk Whoa, yet? what is this? <laughs> Can you even walk? Are you a baby? I look at the tiny meanie. <laughs> Uh, so welcome to Literarily Speaking. Yeah. This is officially episode one, which is bananas. And um, now that I've said that, it probably won't be episode one because every other time that we've been like, this is it! This We're is the finally episode. doing it! It's, it's gotten lost. It's gotten interrupted. It's been concertus interruptus. It's had, it's had a whole host of tragedies in its short life. Truly. And I will say, I think nothing good comes to you super easily but like we're good <laughs> okay we have the surpassed. trials and tribulations <laughs> i am on the blessings and i can't remember the other word that they prosperity use prosperity package, package. <laughs> genuinely this podcast has been alive for less than a month and mm-hmm. it has faced all sorts of adversity listen it would be deserving of a scholarship if it were possible listen god gives his greatest battles <laughs> Strongest soldiers. <laughs> um, but I did not RSVP. I didn't. <laughs> I just Listen, didn't. God, I really appreciate it. Um, the confidence, the vote of confidence. Stunning. The love, a 10. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. I I remember getting the invite and being like, I'm going to address this later. And then I just didn't. And here we are. Apparently, no answer means yes. So apparently, me staying in the pending folder for you was a yes. <laughs> no, it's great. I mean, I did leave you on red, and God, that's on me. I'm sorry. Listen, I'm sorry. Who, who among us? <laughs> that's actually my new favorite move, by the way, is just leaving people on red because yeah. I don't even know. This is how hectic I am in my old age. I don't even sure. know if people can see my messages apart from WhatsApp. But like my texts, I have no idea if I have read receipts on or not. Mm-hmm, I don't mm-hmm. think I do. Mm-hmm. But I will just open something and leave it. As the youths would say, aired. <laughs> youths they would. would say. I they have would. to believe you. I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't know the, the jargon, the vernacular of the youths. I'm not hip so to it. we started a podcast about books. Yeah. <laughs> and let's, across... Let's, let's circle back. <laughs> And across our many journeys through various episode ones, okay, we've talked about so many different topics that we think you probably would like to hear. <laughs> we certainly would have liked you to hear them. Um, we covered Enemies to Lovers, which is a very popular plot point in mm-hmm. a lot of books. We sure, covered sure. Um, Suspending Disbelief. And so this time, <laughs> we thought we would attempt something new and just see Change if karmically up. we can actually get you... <laughs> An episode. If we can get the first so, one out, I think we're just set. One. Just one. I just think the we're one. Set. So, Emma, no Gen Zs have stolen our podcast. <laughs> there hasn't been any other tragedies that Listen. we're aware of. Um, no personal circumstances have arisen Mm-mm. in our own lives Not that we I'm had to deal of. with. No. At this moment. So, what are we going to talk about today? Well, kiddos, we have decided to... Listen, kittens. <laughs> oh my god, you get over here, sit in a circle, crisscross applesauce. Um, Quiet, coyotes. <laughs> if, if they do you that can to you hear... in school? No. 
So they used to do like quiet coyotes in like primary school. And you'd make the little like coyote with your hands and they would wait until everybody had the coyote. Well, you like really so they, struggle with your like flexibility. Listen, I think a, a win is a win. I don't think they were looking for artistic completion. But basically, if you if you out there want to be a quiet coyote, so you put your middle finger and your ring finger to your thumb and then you leave your pointer finger and your pinky up and that is the coyote. So we're quiet coyotes. If you, can, if you can hear me, put your hand up. Okay, so here's the thing. We're doing an episode today on plots. And you're gonna plots when you hear about it. <laughs> and you're gonna plots. <laughs> here's the thing. Um, here it is. Here it is. Here's the information. Hannah and I are, if you listen to the teaser, you would know this, voracious readers. And we, we have, in our voraciousness we have devoured quite a few books in our, in our veracity <laughs> we, have, we have we have read a lot of things we've we read many a book betwixt us in our veracity we have indeed read many book and many a book many book just the one book <laughs> many book. books have words so, so anyway <laughs> that's a callback folks local jokes get local work um <laughs> Um, we should be supervised <laughs> at all times, they and have, have this is not our fault. They we were not tried. assigned a supervisor. We were okay. not. So basically, we have sort of, I would say, very similar taste in plots that we do like, and maybe some varying taste in plots that we don't like. I don't know. We're going to have to see. Um, TBC. But we have found over the course the tenure of our reading lives thus far, our reading careers, that there are many a plot repeated. And mm-hmm. there is a theory by Kurt Vonnegut about this that we're going to get into a little bit. But that's the basic outline for this episode. So stick around. Please. I personally can't wait to dive into it. So just a quick refresher for like, where in the heck are you? Because these two lovely chicas are just rambling in your ears. And to be honest, that in and of itself would probably be enough to entertain you. But we thought we'd give you some actual content. Some substance. So <laughs> so we thought we'd add some dressing to that salad. And <laughs> here, here it is. So we are going to talk about fantasy books specifically. So just as a reminder, um, actually the Kurt Vonnegut stuff is more broad than that. Emma will kind of cover that because I don't know anything about it. I'm going to be learning just like you. Um, but... Most of the books that we're going to be talking about are about fantasy novels. That's what we mostly read. So this may or may not be super applicable to other genres. Um, I think generally a lot of it will. But specifically, the books that we tend to read about have female main characters. And that's a really important point because I have absolutely no idea how books are structured when there's a male main character. Because I have to tell you objectively i don't care what happens to them i don't i I just you you need you need buy-in from your reader you do you need you need that like joie de vivre like something that like gets you going like gets you hooked into the book you could say i don't know what that means (laughs) Uh, but you need you need something that makes you want to read more about the person Mm -hmm, even if you mm -hmm. don't like them Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily likability but you need buy-in yep yep and immediately for me a male main character I'm out. Audi, I'm, I'm gone. Ben's, Audi, Lexus, all of us, we have exited the building. <laughs> they could literally be going to do the coolest thing. Don't know. They could have an amazing adventure. Don't the care. immune? <laughs> they the could go immune? anywhere. 
<laughs> they could go anywhere. They could. Um, and and I just don't care. And that's different from films. I have a lot more creative tolerance for men in films <laughs> because it's it's fine. Like one time out of ten, Henry Cavill's in it. It's worth that's it. Fine. You know? It's but fine. It's fine. But in books, generally, when we're talking about fantasy novels that we're reading, they have female main characters. So it's just worth that to point out because it's entirely possible. And maybe you'll know more about this in the kind of Kurt Vonnegut of it all. Um, It might be completely different for main male characters, but I'm guessing it's a similar structure. So I think so. Let's dive on in. Call me Greg Luganus. Let's go. Well, okay, so what I think we should do is, so Hannah and I wrote out a general, like, skeletal structure of the books we typically read, and they're probably pretty similar, but I think that we should just go through really quick, give our little pointsy points, and say, like, here is the typical journey that my FMC takes in my book. This is what I usually see happen. It's what I expect to happen when I open a fantasy novel. A million percent. And we will also talk about like divergences from that. So yes, let's let's get into it. Um, so first of all, you meet your female main character or your FMC as yeah. it's said in the biz. Um, <laughs> and so you meet them. And if they are new adults or NA, they're typically like early 20s. Like they, I don't know why new adult as a term exists. So like open question who so said <laughs> you're not a young adult. <laughs> So you know what you are. You're brand new. You're a, you're a new you're a adult. new adult. I as an, I understand it as um, and this I will just say now, new adult is not a recognized genre category, reader category in traditional publishing. It's not. Do not ever query new adult because you won't find traction there. It's either YA or fantasy. In this in this case, you would say YA fantasy or just fantasy. It'd be one or the other. But yeah, I think it was coined by readers for the most part who were like, I don't identify with let's say, YA fantasy or, like, Tolkien fantasy. And I feel like those are two very specific genres. And New Adult was, like, right cleanly in the middle. Yeah, I mean, I am in the camp for sure that as a 30-something, I really don't have that much in common with a 16-year-old. Like, unless they're rapidly aging before my eyes and by chapter two or three, they're going to be, like, 20 or 25. I just, like, for me, it the vibes aren't vibing, you know? <laughs> I just don't, <laughs> I don't have that much to, I don't have that much interest in what happens to a 16 year old because it feels very juvenile. You're like, I don't know what it's like to like someone. And you're like, whoa, <laughs> like, okay, come to me when you've had a few traumas happen to you, when you have lived a little bit of life and then we'll circle back. We'll get a coffee. It'll be great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, it's just always coming of age, right? And I've I've already yeah. done that. My age has arrived. Yeah. We've known each other for a while now. So, yeah. uh, yes. I digress. Hannah was saying, it starts with an FMC. She's usually 19 to 22. Yeah, um, somewhere in there. And there's a few situations she can find herself in at the start of a book. And one of them would be she's recently experienced a tragedy of some kind. Probably her yep. mom died. Um, any any caregiver, mom, any... dad, grandmother, mm-hmm, great uncle mm-hmm, who would mm-hmm. would like teach her to fish. I don't know, sure. but like some core family or found family member dies. Yeah. So recent tragedy. Once you have kind of a, a coming of age, you you typically then have a recent tragedy. In some cases, though, and these are the ones that I tend to prefer. 
the age has already cometh much like myself i we've we've already been we've been new like we've already been there Ta-da! the fmc is somewhere around like mid 20s late 20s if you're lucky love a late 20s oh, FMC. I love a late 20s oh, i love it love it um <laughs> because it's just like you it's a nice message like you don't need to start an adventure at 16 or 20 to have an adventure it's sure. just like an underlying nice message us um, boomers want to go on adventures too <laughs> Listen, we have our walkers. We're ready to roll, babe. Like, we are good. I'm not as geriatric as you think I am <laughs> yet. Or am I? But I still want to be know. invited. Listen, and I, want, I, no. I want the option. I'll consult my diary. I want to be included. <laughs> I do. So there's some kind of coming of age and or tragedy. And if the book doesn't start with a tragedy, buckle up, Patty, because you're going to be in a tragedy in a moment, like the first few chapters. And actually, I mean, you can probably explain why this is. I personally don't love, I guess, like a very fixed plot, but in traditional publishing, they want you to have some kind of big action point kind of at the front. So like, why is that? Is it just to get the reader hooked? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's, you don't have to have, here's the thing, you don't have to have action in your first chapter or on your first page. It's just when it comes to traditional publishing, it's highly recommended that something is happening at the start because the whole point is to entice people to continue to read the book. And if you open up a book and not everyone is like this, but a lot of people, if they open up the book and it's just like this humdrum life of this person and it's all this backstory and info dumping, they're going to say, I don't have time to get through this. You need to pull me in before you like give me the, the details and all the layers of that onion. Yeah. And and for me, I'm not as rigid. Like, I'm happy to get to know a character in the first few chapters and have the information dumped upon me, as long as it's contributing to a very vibrant world building. So I think the other thing that's kind of happening in the background with good authors is that as they're introducing you to this character, they're either giving you some sort of like a personal tragedy, or they're giving you some sort of um, like a coming of age moment, like some big <clears throat> journey that they're about to embark on or some big you know like ritual um a lot of it is like um you you might especially in like magic systems you might be just learning how to use your powers for the first time or you might have just found yourself with powers um and then a really good author at that same time is building in lore Mm -hmm. to the background of what's happening so as they're establishing who this character is and like what's going on in their life and obviously there's got to be some sort of pivotal change force otherwise you're just going about their day to day right fine but in the background there should also be like and here's the fabric of the world you find yourself in because what's really disconcerting is to get to know a character and not understand the world that they're surrounded by so you know in the first few chapters maybe not the first chapter but in the first few chapters you kind of want a sense of like number one who am i reading about like who am i identifying with because ultimately i'm putting myself in the book like maybe i'm not the female main character but i'm I'm usually going about it in kind of a first person mentality. Like I'm imagining, you know, my emotions through her emotions. Um, but if if I'm like totally immersing myself in who this person is, I need to understand her context. And so really frequently for me, one of the things that will put me off of a book is if it's like, Barbara is a young woman who's been plagued by this tragedy. And she finds herself in need of a a helper and and a a band of rebel friends to go and do this thing. And then 
they go on this quest and you have absolutely no idea what the world they're in, what kind of problems they're gonna encounter, why they're going on the quest really in the first place other than Barbara needs the thing. Like there, there's no kind of anchoring or grounding in the world. And so that for me will, will kind of throw me. Well, Barbara and her merry men are <laughs> so sad to hear it. All that's playing in my head right now is Barbara, manatee, manatee, manatee. Um, and that's um, for the 90s kids. <laughs> it's for you. <laughs> it's for you. You're welcome. So typically you have kind of a coming of age moment. You have a personal tragedy of some kind. Um, and if you haven't had a tragedy yet, you're very soon to. Um, and, and I think the other thing that, that kind of happens quite a lot is... Um, you you have to establish a need for change because mm -hmm. you know really frequently the only reason that something's happening is because it can't stay the same otherwise you'd just be going through the character's daily life mm -hmm. so um one of the things that that can really actually pull me out of a book is while you're getting to know that character while you're establishing that rapport as a reader and you're understanding who they are what their motivations are and and what's happening to them for me I need an author to be world building while that's happening. One of the things that really pulls me out of a book really quickly and like makes me go, ugh, is, <laughs> I get the ick, is essentially going through those initial chapters, getting to know the person, getting to know the character, but having absolutely no idea about the world that they're in. Other than like where they're standing, description scenes, there's no kind of fabric being woven. So like, what is the world like? What, you know, what am I walking into? What, you know, what kind of a magic system am I talking about? And I don't necessarily need the author to tell me that all at once, but it needs to be kind of building as you're getting to know the character so that you have the same mentality and context that they do. So you can put your emotions where they are. Because, you know, I'm reading as a first person, like, I don't personally put myself in the driver's seat in that I feel like I am the main character, but I am experiencing it as if I'm like, watching a show you know what i mean like you know the main character's emotions you can empathize you can relate and so it's really important to me that i understand what the world's like and and what's happening to that person to make them do something because i think especially in fantasy novels there's so much high potential action that like you're running or you're like you're fleeing for your life or you're you're going on like a really dangerous adventure that you you you'd never really go on you know what i mean like mm -hmm. sometimes i don't even go to the grocery store like <laughs> there are there are layers you know so i think for all that to happen you have to understand the motivation and if you don't have the right world building in the background of that it's really hard to put yourself in their shoes or to make it impactful yeah i mean i don't think anyone would ever say don't world build of course like oh, there's different ways to do it i personally have never read a book where there wasn't world building but i think the degree to which an author does it is probably their personal preference and the reader's personal preference as to like how much they need because for me I often world build as I'm writing like I don't world build at the beginning and then like build my story around that I only mention parts of my world that are relevant to the story that I'm writing and I just don't think for me I think it'd be confusing if I received a lot of information about a world and it was like not info dumping necessarily, but it was things that like are only going to come up once. Like if you're going to world build and you're going to tell the reader about it, I think it needs to be stuff that you are intent on mentioning multiple times or like are extremely important to your plot. Yeah. And I, I guess for me, and, and this is how I write as well. I'm super happy with you info dumping or like giving me a lot of information up front because I'm building a world in my head as you're building it for me. So it's, 
I don't have a problem if you world build as you go, but I personally prefer if you like dunk me in rather than like gradually build it throughout the story, which is much more cohesive as a writer. But I just, I like to be submerged. Sure. Um, that was not a confession about my personal life. That was just a book. <laughs> but whatever. So <laughs> there we are. Uh, okay. You normally have a coming of age. You have some kind of a tragedy. Um, are there any other kind of intro plot points you have? Because I wanted to talk about some of the lesser plots that I read sometimes. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if we would consider this a lesser plot because I have like obviously FMC either comes of age or is of age. Oh no, a horrible thing happens. And they're faced with either a seemingly dangerous scenario or somebody has passed or the their life, the lives of the, those they love are at risk and they have to leave for the kingdom or for Glendale and they have to go to one or the other. So it's the land. This is not the land. This is Glendale. <laughs> and usually yeah. she's whisked off somewhere wherever it is it's like you must come with me to survive and she's like what if i don't want to survive and they're like you have to (laughs) she's like is this like surviving or thriving where are we at where are we going (laughs) but i did write down like trauma ensues and like isn't that all of us you know you just step out your door and trauma ensues okay (laughs) like it happens at every layer of our lives um i do i do think i'll come back to to the lesser plots but i do think it's interesting to pull on it and this is something that you've actually kind of impressed upon me the you've impressed the importance of it upon me um wow. is that that the kingdom or the land has to sort of be under threat like sure. quite often it's not enough that your main character is under threat of some kind like their lives have to change they have to go and like other people in the story they all have to like make different choices and they're like moving across a chessboard kind of complex but also typically in fantasy novels, there's some kind of a problem with the land. There's some kind of like the magic is drying up or there there isn't enough land for everyone or someone's taking over and there's like conquering kingdoms or war. Like the land is not just fine and things are happening to the character. And I guess like, cause you've impressed that upon me as an important factor and I think it is, but I don't fully, I don't fully appreciate why. <laughs> time i'm like why can't the land just be the land like why why can't you leave britney alone (laughs) why does it have to be this way i've always just understood it as a writer from the perspective of it's what what the plot isn't what's happening to your characters the plot is how your characters respond to it and (laughs) if that is my life quote listen and it's not mine i read it somewhere so (laughs) i mean no i said that myself quote me like and that was on my pinterest (laughs) (laughs) it was my 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 phone wallpaper uh (laughs) no um but in that case though you can't just have things be happening to your character um and quite often i think you'll see this in contemporary like romance that is typically what it is because it's character driven and fantasy is rarely character driven because you're building such a complex world and magic system and therefore something has to be happening external to just the character that they have to respond to and that's going to help steer them in whatever journey they're on and there it be so the lesser plot points for me Mm -hmm. um and, and i think this is more so uh the action potential for the female main character so quite often 
there's kind of this ingenue female main character. Like she's coming from some backwoods village or she, you know, there must be more than this provincial life. Like to read. Like Can you read? <laughs> I didn't know you could read. <laughs> but yeah, like the, the, there's quite often kind of a, a backwoods mentality that you're like, I ain't never been to the city before. <laughs> like, and you're just, and, and they're like learning about cars and they're like, oh my gosh, like you guys have I wheels on stuff here. <laughs> <laughs> I just ride a Um, And that's why we don't live where we grew up. Anyway, but <laughs> they have bring back. Your, track, drive your tractor to work or to a school day. Okay, drive your tractor to a school day. Exclude me. Exclude me. <laughs> it's a big yikes. It's a big yikes. <laughs> but what I mean is typically there's kind of there's kind of a, a main female character that she is somehow sheltered or not as part as much a part of main society and then sure. she emerges into society through the plot twists yes. through the close other person dying or through the personal tragedy being forced onto the adventure they're then thrust into this you know vibrant world that they otherwise were kind of cloistered away from um but i think a lesser kind of plot point that happens more and more especially associated with the terms feminine rage which we stand hello big fan um <laughs> huge um but kind of the lesser plot points for me are people who have like professional villainous jobs that are on the job at the start of the at the start of the novel. So mm -hmm. um, assassins, thieves, they're 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 in the midst of their normal day. You know, they're they're plucking a sapphire from someone, or they're you know they're stealing something, or they've gone to unalive someone. Um, and then it's like the camera kind of pans to them, and you're like, look. She's scaling a building. Why is she scaling that building? And then it kind of unfolds. <laughs> and then it kind of unfolds from there. Like you might meet a, a fellow kind of person in that career line. I'm avoiding right. saying villain. Um, <laughs> like that they're not a villain. Line. They're misunderstood. That's a career choice. Okay, it's nepotism. They Give do a not have a choice. choice. Okay. Yeah, exactly. um, because <laughs> I am here for an aloof male and an aloof male Listen, only. I love okay. morally gray. I also love morally black. I like them bad. If you're I don't care. understood, you're a side character immediately. <laughs> like if you're like, oh, I have like normal motivations. I don't have any trauma. I'm great. You're blonde and you're a side character. Bye. Bye, bestie. I think I literally, one of the ones I wrote down was like, she's probably, she probably thinks she's in love with a blonde guy on my oh. list. <laughs> You're See, not. This is, what, this is what gags me though is when there's like a light-haired main male character that is endgame. I'm like, no, what? I can't, I don't <laughs> believe you. Sorry, no one's gonna come out and like unalive him at some point. Listen. Like he, he we have him for the whole time. <laughs> He's with us. He's staying. This was your choice. Oh, okay. This is your option. Interesting. Interesting. Listen, yeah. everyone's different. Your Every... No, do what you want. <laughs> do what you it's your want. life. Vive the, you know, the main male characters of different <laughs> um, levels of attraction. Visages. But I don't, I don't agree. <laughs> here we are. Um, we are the UN of books, you know? <laughs> We're here to arrange <laughs> equality and stuff. <laughs> if that isn't every male politician's slogan. <laughs> or equality, unless I don't like them. <laughs> But that's impressive. Equality. Sometimes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when I'm um, in the mood. 
But yeah, I think there is like a lesser plot structure. It doesn't happen as often where the main character is is already exposed to like the seedy underbelly of the world or like living on the edge. And this is like a different edge that they have to go to or there's some kind of com complication to their existing pattern of living. But it's not as common as like, I just came out of the woods. I uh, I was trapped in a tower for about 300 years. And, right. and now I've grown my hair long enough and I got some Pantene shampoo and, and I just climbed my way down. So <laughs> here we are. Hey, by the way, I talked to birds. Um, so. <laughs> tweet, tweet, chirp, chirp. Moving on. And that's where the first tweet came from. Don't Listen, let Mark Zuckerberg fool you. Don't, don't, let him don't fool allow you. it. So anyway, we meet our characters and then what happens to them? We, are you talking about we meet our side characters? Sure. Like we've met our main character. Okay. They are they are in the midst of the entrance of the book. Something has unfolded. Something has begun. Um, and then kind of what what happens next? Well, they suffer a great tragedy. Of course, someone has died. They have killed someone accidentally, not realizing it had broken 10,000 laws and surprise, they have to now run your Starbucks. I don't know. <laughs> we have to talk about this. So <laughs> there are so many book talk plots where new and listen, all authors matter. Okay. But like we, we go into book talk and there are so many plots that are like, let me explain my book to you in 20 words or less, or let me give you a quick pitch, like an elevator pitch for what my book's yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of these are genuinely iconic. And I, I'm not saying they're bad. I wouldn't say that. No, I wouldn't but say that. But they're not that. for me. <laughs> but they're not for me. Um, yeah. And a lot of them are in many ways, like mind bendingly ridiculous. Sure. Like, like how, <laughs> I admire your creativity, but also how. How did you even get there? <laughs> so, yeah, we'll we'll reference them. We'll repost them. We have a lot of examples. Don't worry, don't worry. Um, but so this tragedy happens. They embark on their adventure. And then typically for me, one of two things kind of happens. Okay. One, they discover that they have an ability or a power that they didn't know they had. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. often it needs to remain a secret for various reasons. <laughs> and like... Who can say? <laughs> don't tell anyone and you're like okay well i just blew up like half a city block with my hand oh so <laughs> i think the cat's out of the bag <laughs> i don't i don't want to make waves well, but I, don't I just feel like <laughs> i just feel like maybe people know i think <laughs> i think it's like a, they're aware do you know what i'm saying i think they know yeah and so I guess like in other pieces, why why add the complexity of like the powers needing to remain hidden? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that entirely depends on how you've built your plot thus far, right? Like if you're saying this power needs to remain hidden, it needs to be because should that be revealed, that person will be killed or the plans that they have so carefully wrought to bring this person on board would be- Will be rotten. Ruined. <laughs> will be will rotted it will um and again i will say this multiple times it can't just be because you need it to be that way like there has to be and this is why it's so important to have external factors that are impacting your characters if like for instance in the book that i wrote this individual has to flee and hide her powers because of religious zealots that because listen i love i love a cliche and i'm going to embrace them um 
because religious elves consider it an affront to their gods and they've killed people for much less, et cetera, et cetera. But the point is there has to be a reason why that person cannot viably just be like, Hey, um, I can wield fire. So I just like, I, I want to come to fire wielders anonymous and just be upfront <laughs> and just be honest. The FWA <laughs> I'll be there on Tuesday. <laughs> See you then. No. And I think, I think there's part of it. That's like, you know, what's the external context? Why did the powers have to remain hidden? Mm-hmm. But there's also an important factor of like a good author will also set limits on the magic. So Definitely. like, I'm a fire wielder, but I can't just do this anytime I want. Like I'll get exhausted. I'll deplete my magic. I can only do it at nighttime, you know, whatever, whatever the thing is, there's a thing <laughs> that means <laughs> nighttime, daytime, but you can't just do it or you can't just have unlimited access to magic because the story would be over. <laughs> like, sure. And uh, then everything was fine. So <laughs> there we go. Um, but I think also often combined with this discovery of abilities is a quest, a trial, a mission. Somehow there is a purpose that unites a disparate group of people. Now, sometimes they are friends who go off on this adventure. Sometimes they're enemies who become like allies, but they don't really want to be. Sometimes they're enemies who stay enemies the whole time. Sure. Um, and, and I think that's really where you differentiate like the sub tropes of like, is it an enemies to lovers kind of thing? If you're talking uh-huh. a romanticy, is it um, a slow burn? Because that's very different. And, and how do, how does that differentiate? But I think the common thing often going into the quest and trials is that the characters have secrets from each other. So they don't just have secrets in general that they have to keep from like the public, but they also have secrets from each other that you get let into as a reader, but obviously the other person doesn't know, especially in multiple point of view books. There tends to be like, oh, you know, Bob has a secret ability to wield fire and uh, nobody in the camp can know because they're looking for fire wielders to make them join the recruitment team for fire wielders anonymous. You got a um, hit on your hands, baby. <laughs> buy it in stores now. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? Like there, there are like intricacies of why there is a lack of trust or somehow the need to keep a secret. And most of that is like building out the plot because your book will end really quickly if everybody learns everything all this all, all at the same well, time. Sure. So our character either has an innate power that they're like, oh my gosh, how has this happened? And I'm only just now discovering it. And what or is this feeling? They're um, <laughs> learning to fight in some kind of way. Maybe they're doing archery. I don't know. Um, Let's get down to business. They're Mulaning it and they're fire wielding anonymousing it. <laughs> and then. <gasps> shock betrayal intrigue someone betrays shocks or intrigues your fmc (laughs) shock betrayal intrigue someone shocks betrays or intrigues your main character i love it no no i have a workshop please join me it's only five hundred dollars um guys i'm a writing guru (laughs) the ruru is what they call me (laughs) no no you can't, it's too, that's what they call me. Can't send up to me. Immediately no sanctioned. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So, oh my gosh, this I cannot believe that this entire time the prince was actually an ogre in disguise, and it's a reverse Shrek, and everything is crazy. So, something something occurs that once again disrupts the FMC's life, and she, he, they, whomever 
must make a decision. Do I remain here and stay loyal to people that I thought were on my side? Or do I flee again with these other kind of disenfranchised characters that were underdogs the whole time and were kind of a question mark for the reader? That's usually yeah. what happens in my experience. I agree. I agree. I agree. I, agree. I think the other thing that happens quite a lot, and I I tend to find that authors like a trilogy, which I get. Okay, Basti. Also a duology. I like a duology. I I will say I prefer a duology because here's what tends to happen in a trilogy. Not always, not all writers. But yeah, book two is just like a snooze because you don't have that much content to go through three books. And so instead of just doing like a sick duology, you're like, do you know what? I'm just I'm gonna keep this going okay let's let's keep the train chugging choo choo and so in book two you have a ton of character development but actually a nothing ton of happens. prologue it's like an entire before yeah. before book one and it's like I don't care I don't care maybe I do but like write a prequel write a prequel and then let me choose if I want to read it sure but quite often the reason that book two is so bad is because they made a duology into a trilogy. So there was enough content, there was enough plot for two books or even three books sometimes and authors will drag it out into Mm -hmm. like six books. And this is for me when (laughs) the red flags, ding, 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 are when they start giving people points of view who you're like, I genuinely couldn't care. Why less. am I here with them? They are a side character. They could drop dead. And I'd be like, oh, sad. Anyway, so <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think that tends to happen as well in books that are light on content um, or light on plot that drag out. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. And you'll see actually Miss Mass herself criticized for Throne of Glass being what, eight books long or something like that? Especially when one Tower of, those- of Dawn. I Tower know, of Dawn. Big controversy with Tower of Dawn. <laughs> okay, first of all, and and there's no spoilers. And and I have gone so far as to write down exactly how I'm gonna describe the books that we'll recommend at the end. There is not going to be a spoiler in this episode. However, if there are spoilers in other episodes, I will force Emma to put like a wee-wah, wee-wah. Hopefully she recorded that noise exactly. (laughs) But there there will be some sort of like warning that we will ruin your lives by spoiling books for you in case you haven't read it. But in this case, I spoil nothing by saying I loathe Kale. I loathe him. I despise him. He is a character in Throne of Glass throughout the series. Um, And oh my gosh, I do not care about him. I hate him. And he gets a point of view so much that I'm like, oh, like, shut up. And a lot of a lot of Sarah Mass stands will skip reading Tower of Dawn for that reason. Um, And so here we are. (laughs) Look at us living in our little space. Yeah, Tower of Dawn is probably the one that gets the most... um controversial diatribe about it so okay so my notes for the plot ends with she either flees and or faces her betrayal enter book two so this is typically in my experience what happens overall in fantasy books specifically i could speak to other books like contemporary fiction and things like that but those have much more i would say diverse options in terms of how it's going to progress because they're typically character driven and I can't predict what those characters are going to do or what they're like um I've just read a lot just have an emotional outburst be the end of a book and then a lot of times potentially 
they change their decisions because of that it's very hallmark movie think of it as like big city woman (laughs) returns to her roots kill me (laughs) it's so funny (laughs) hey i just got into columba bumbo and (laughs) i need a place to stay guess the guy from my high school who runs the local inn will give me a room oh my god he got hot wow anyway big corporate job business 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 It's a lot of that. And or, um, and this happens in Hallmark as well. It's like a widowed or divorced father of a young child. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Who wears a lot of like Levi denim. And I wear my heart on my sleeves. <laughs> but don't get too close. And my to sleeves me. are always made of denim. <laughs> I'm emotionally unavailable, but you'll like He changes it. her flat tire. She's like, you know, <laughs> no thanks, Huck. <laughs> Huck. Joe, always one syllable. Always. Listen, we don't have time for two. <laughs> no. It's just the one. Shut up. Okay. So in fantasy, that is typically what occurs. I have found. Yeah. And Do I think any- also you can be guaranteed that whatever book structure you're going into, if it's more than one book, book one is going to end on a cliffhanger. Definitely. Almost every author does it. There's very few authors that are like, and there was a brief pause. <laughs> book two. You know, like usually... I mean, it's a joke for a reason. It's a cliche for a reason. The last hundred page, if everything's going great, buckle up. Listen. <laughs> Won't stay great. You know what's really horrible is when you get to the last, like, 50 pages. And it's and, still fine. And you're like, um, so. So, oh. speaking of the last 50 pages, speaking of book two. Okay. There are a lot of hot takes on the book talkiverse that talk about enemies to lovers meaning that you end book one as either still enemies or like just turning the page to like there might be something there that wasn't there before but you're not fully invested like no no interaction no spice in book one from those two maybe from other people but not from the enemies to lovers if it's a true slow burn which is why i think those tropes need to be distilled a bit more because sure. if it's not a slow burn and it's enemies to lovers there's not really a timeline like sorry there's just not right but for slow burn i think you can hold people and say actually come on you said slow burn this was six chapters <laughs> unless you know you're waiting at the starbucks drive through and that's slow for you this is not a slow burn <laughs> i always just keep it safe and don't classify it as slow burn quick burn medium burn or anything on the spectrum i just don't go by the burn time (laughs) (laughs) the burn timeline is not for me it's not i'm a free spirit it's just it is what it is (laughs) okay so we've gone over basic fantasy plots what we typically see what we kind of expect to see and almost feel betrayed when we don't see and to be honest i'm wondering I'm kind of like, listen, it's great that you're going a different way. It's just, I did not know because I did not wear the right shoes for this journey. I didn't. <laughs> of which Emma is an expert. She has a PhD <laughs> in wearing the wrong shoes <laughs> to an occasion. Uh, cute over comfort. Always. Um, I've changed my ways. <laughs> um, if you're a TC tier, you'll get that reference. And if you're not, I don't know. What the girls you. that get it. <laughs> Can I get it? Okay, so I think that we should do a brief discussion on Kurt Vonnegut's, maybe not, maybe theory is not the right word. Basically, he presented the idea that there are only three or four plots of all written work. 
Almost every book is written this way. Okay. And listen, I know what you might be thinking. The opinions of a man getting airtime. I I agree. I know. I know. Who needs more of it? Who needs more of it? I don't. But (laughs) we're going to discuss it because we're creatives. And we will make space for people who don't deserve space. (laughs) Just sometimes, though. Anywho. Okay. Okay. So basically, he has a video of this on YouTube. And you can, like, Google Kurt Vonnegut story theory or something like that and he's gonna he's got this really short it's like three or four minutes or something really short where he like draws it out and it's kind of like lecture meets like stand up because he's actually pretty dry and funny when he speaks i have found that's just my opinion just my opinion so (laughs) okay so one of the plot he describes is basically here's a person they're kind of like oh i'm an average life person everything's kind of okay it's not great but it's not horrible um, but they get into mm-hmm. trouble and at that point you see them going to like a down if we're, if we're looking at a graph it starts level and then it goes down and then they're mm-hmm. down here in the hole of despair or whatever it is that's bad that's happening and they're like how will i ever get back out and then they're in the pit of despair and then uh Inigo montoya saves him and he gets out <laughs> <laughs> hello my name is Inigo montoya <laughs> You killed my father. Um, he gets back out of the hole. And then probably his life might go a little up, but it'll probably just level back out because he's gotten out. So it's like, woohoo, okay, I escaped that. And now everything seems a little bit better than it did before. That's one So plot. it's like mediocrity, pit of despair, back at mediocrity. Yes. There was one he described. And this is like, this is the apex of not a story. Like you do not have a story if you do this. Things are bad. Like, so he, what he does is his graph is laid out as like, the top is like you're the cream of the crop your life is amazing nothing is wrong in your life and all the way at the bottom is like you would rather be dead and this person starts at the bottom and they're like my life now we're here. sucks <laughs> nothing good and it's horrible and then the writer just makes it get worse and it goes like it literally like the what he draws is just like a downward arrow because like whoop, <laughs> and they're gone it does not come back up and I just warn you as an author not to do this because you don't have a story if you do that. There has to be a getting out of the whole moment to have a story. But listen, people have done it. What a miserable book. Yeah. I mean, a horrible so everything book. was terrible. And then, and it, got then it got worse. The end. And that's it. Uh, your, your life um, Life sucks. And listen, is that my weekly status sometimes? Listen, yeah, not me. it is. But I don't want to read about that. Okay. Okay, so the next one is that once again we have an average individual who's like just going along, flatlining in their life, not horrible, not great, Be-ba-boo. kind of like wah, 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 wah. Um, they probably live in America. Who knows? <laughs> and if you think of mediocrity, you think of America. <laughs> and but there so you are. this is often really referenced in like love stories a lot. Like he's like he, she, they, whomever is okay, everything's all right, and then they meet somebody, and it goes, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. Everything is wonderful and I'm so happy. And then the misunderstanding trope comes along and it goes oh. down. Can I just side rage? Sure. The misunderstanding trope is the most frustrating thing as a reader mm-hmm. because you understand. I know. So <laughs> you're in the worst possible position. That's you're not like, what he meant. stop being <laughs> stupid. Like, that's not what happened. And there's no, see this, this will get me lit. There is no reason for the plot to not progress other than you don't think so. That for me is the most irritating thing in the world. Like we can't be together, why? Because, sure. are you okay? And like the same is true for adventures. Like, so in the non-romance space, like, oh, um, we can't go up the mountain. 
because I think that you want to go a different way. And instead of just asking you about that and resolving the conflict, we're not going to talk about it. We're going to part ways. What? <laughs> like, no, no. I hate the misunderstanding trope. Hannah. Worst thing in the world. So Hannah hates it. However, anyway, it happens to our character. And <laughs> or we they break up. <laughs> things happen. They're separated. Who who knows what occurs? But it goes bad. And then so they started average. They went up. And now they go down below average. And everything is kind of like poo-poo. I hate it. I'm heartbroken. And now my life feels not so average anymore because I have crippling sadness all the time. And then later on, I don't know, something happens. The misunderstanding gets cleared up. They show up to object at their arranged wedding day and save them from a horrible life being married. I'm again it. <laughs> Mr. Bingham or something. I don't know. But uh, it goes back up even further than it was before because now they have their person again and they've learned to appreciate them. So that's one of the plots that always kind of goes the same. Okay. This is the one that we're kind of the most familiar with. And it's also kind of, let me double check my notes here. Um, yeah, this is also kind of the plot of Cinderella. So here it is. This person is in sort of terrible circumstances, not the worst possible, but like they don't have a good life. And maybe it's because they have to sleep by the fireplace. Or maybe it's because, as we said earlier, they have suffered a great personal tragedy. And now they live in squalor, just waiting for the next day to see if they'll survive. Who knows? And when you move to a place like squalor, how bad is your life going to be? You know? Listen, you, it, it's in the name. You should have known. Did you, like, rent your apartment online? You like, bought happened? a house. You rented property in squalor. Therefore. No one to blame but yourself. You? So, um, I digress. It's like in ruin. Okay. As soon as you move there, your life's going to go badly. It's right. It's right there. You should have moved to Shambles, but you didn't. But you didn't. But you didn't. (laughs) Um, So then they receive this great and rare opportunity. And much like our fantasy FMCs, they, something horrible has happened, but then they get this chance to be like, Hey, actually, if you come with me, I can solve all this for you. You just have to do X, Y, and Z for me, or you have to do this specific portion of steps whatever the sequence what have you and they're like oh my gosh what an amazing opportunity i am so excited and actually i don't think my life i'm gonna move out of a squalor i'm gonna leave i'm finally gonna do it i'm gonna put my flat on right move and i'm gonna go i'm gonna get my little knapsack get my glass slippers whatever it is i'm taking with me and i'm gonna go (laughs) knapsack my knapsack okay so they think they think things are on the up everything is fantastic but then things get bad again, but they don't get as bad because they have the memory of the person. So in Cinderella's instance, she like had to leave, but she was like, oh, but I had this amazing night and I have one glass <laughs> slipper. I'll never forget it. By the way, <laughs> we should have checked on her then. <laughs> My life is horrible. I'm treated atrociously, but I had a great Saturday. Are you okay? <laughs> Cinderella was not okay. Are you okay? <laughs> she was locked away like, in an attic. Listen. Huge amount of personal tragedies, loads of trauma, um, and really there's no solution in sight. But I had a banging Tuesday. I think it's a little more believable if you put it into the scope of the fantasy <laughs> novels that we read because like... <laughs> but then nothing else is changing. Um, I don't have an immediate income source. No, I don't oh, have a plan. <laughs> but I had a great... I have a plus. Tuesday. <laughs> I'm more at the plus stage. <laughs> so here's the thing. I just, I think that if you look at it though, out, let's, Cinderella is a unique 
scenario if we look at it in the context of like what we would typically read that would mean that like fmc has to flee the place that she or he or they thought they were safe and things were going to get okay and turns out they weren't going to get okay however they have newfound friendships or they have this power they didn't know they had or they had skills that they didn't know they had so things are bad but they're not as bad as they were before and then i can now make sourdough bread <laughs> <laughs> life skill i tell you um so and of course Kurvana gets not going to give you every point of the plot, but basically they reach this point of like eh-ness and eventually here's the plot. It's occurring. You see it occurring. And then they ricochet into happiness at the very end. Happily ever after. Happily ever after. Yeah. And these are generally the plots that stories follow. And I maintain if you're an author and you get really insecure about your plot, remember that even Kurt Vonnegut said, there's nothing new under the sun. It's not your primary plot that has to be the most creative thing you've ever seen in your life. You probably have something a lot of people have done before. How you get there and what happens to your characters, that's what is that's the only thing that you can really do to set your book apart. Well, and also I think who your character is. Like yeah, you can definitely. do a lot with personal development. Do I agree with Kirky? I <laughs> I don't. I like I think I understand his story graphs. 10 out of 10 for you, Kurt. Well done. But I think I think sometimes there's like a real high point. Like sure. and and I think a lot of this will be the kind of royalty tropes. You know, you're starting out and, you know, you're a very happy person or you're contented in life and then slam, something awful happens to you. Um, I actually, I like a lot of those books. And I think it's different than like, everything's kind of fine because you have a really good life sure. then you lose everything. Almost like a Job of it all. You know, sure. like you have a very prosperous life, you have a super like happy kind of vibe and then all of a sudden, you know, a meteor lands and like smashes everything Sad. and you don't have car insurance and you can't get it. <laughs> and place. you just built that solarium. <laughs> um, and that's why nationwide. <laughs> Um, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but I think mm-hmm. that I think there is nuance. And I also think so this is something that we've talked about a lot. And we won't do like a full hour on this at this point. We could. No promises <laughs> in the future. We <laughs> we could not. <laughs> we could try, but we could not be successful. But I think there's also an element of like there is a lot I think that you can do with a plot in terms of creativity to really add some twists and turns. There is a lot that you can do in that space that will not make you a traditionally published queen. Um, and really, that is, you can have a super sexy, creative, like really roller coastery story that I personally would be a stand of. I would sit outside your house, I'd hold a boombox, the whole thing. Like, I'd love it. Sure, sure, sure. But the traditional publishing people of the world, that's not what they want. They want essentially what Kurt was talking about. They want a specific kind of structure of a plot and they want really good writing. And then like the, the characters themselves go nuts, be creative, make their hair blue, go wild. But you know what I mean? Like they, they're not looking as far as I've understood the industry through the lens of Emma, because Emma is my writing correspondent. <laughs> like all of my writing news, I get through her. Um, if you have any inquiries, you can reach out directly to her through my people. Um, but from my and and you know correct me if i'm explaining that wrong but like from my perspective that's where kind of myself and the traditional publishers we go different ways 
I think it's one of two things. I think either it's, and I think everyone just needs to keep in mind that the entire role of traditional publishing is to sell. And you have to keep that in mind. If you want to be traditionally published, you need to write something that's sellable. And what I mean by that is like, it's something that is palatable to a it large- It has to fit their mold. Yeah. Well, yeah. And in a, in a way, I mean, I think there is going to be creative license for some agents and some publishers, and you're not going to find it all the way across the board. But I mean, I've read plenty of queries on Query Shark, which by the way, if you're writing a query, I'd really recommend reading her archives because she gets really down to the nitty gritty of like, this is what you need to have in a query to be successful. But I digress. Uh, Lots of like pretty creative plots and a lot of also generic plots. And there's room for everyone so long as it is written in such a way that a large group of people would be interested in it rather than maybe the 10% of book talk that you're like writing for. You know, like you can't be too niche if you want to traditionally publish. It's been my experience anyway, because I felt that I wrote my book, the, the my first draft in a way that like would appeal to a really certain, like typical, not typical, but like specific kind of person. And, and I was eating you alive. Can just say it. it would appeal in to the, me. Yes. It would appeal well, to me. I was eating alive in the query, <laughs> you could just say it. in the query trenches. I tell you, like mortared 10,000 times a day. Like it just was not going well. Shelled, mortared. It was bad. <laughs> it was bad. It was a bad time. And I just think there, there's probably like, I would say probably smaller publishing houses are more keen to print more creative books um, yeah. and to give a little bit more flexibility in that. But ultimately if an agent is reading your stuff and they're having difficulty following what you're doing, just like, out the gate you don't really stand a chance in the traditional publishing world and to just like quickly pivot into bookies because we are going to talk about some actual bookies um i wanted to bring up a book that i have just recently finished that is i think a great case study so (laughs) what you're gonna have now is effectively what emma and i do on the regular i go into the kindle universe me and my spacesuit, we go exploring and I bring back little artifacts from the world sure, I visit. Sure. And one such cheese. world, <laughs> Mune, the Mune. <laughs> the Mune. If you haven't seen this TikTok, by the way, it's hilarious. 10 out of 10 recommend. We'll post it on the Instagram. Um, I say that. We may or may not. But <laughs> here we are. We will. We so will. So the book, I will promise not to do any spoilers. The book is called The Borderlands Princess and it is by Ophelia wells langley uh allegedly she is a best-selling author no tino shade ophelia but i don't know so <laughs> i have me questions what does best-selling mean what are our parameters What's and maybe maybe this is so i recently read a, a book that i loved it was um i think queen of roses and it was a king arthur retelling and it was by a an author whose pen name, whose nom de plume, was um, Briar Boleyn, but she was actually also a best-selling novelist, but she was a novelist in the, like, Bodice Ripper historical romance space. Uh Uh-huh. Benna Edgewood, which, 10 out of 10, what a name. Listen to it. Why would you not use that? I don't get it, but whatever, whatever. So she differentiated her pen name because she was going into a new genre, you know, and so fair enough um but she was a non-genre author who i thought did great in in Mm -hmm. terms of writing a fantasy novel that was really robust it didn't feel like you were crossing genres unnecessarily it didn't feel like you just wanted to add like an elf in you know it was very it was very good and it was very interesting and the plot was good 
So Ophelia, my my sweet little lamb. Ophelia wrote and she's wrote she's written a duology so far and I am not going to pick up book two. Uh, you know, no spoilers. I won't tell you how it ends, but I finished book one out of sheer curiosity, but I, I wanted to put it down several times. So I am going to bring up the book description and then I'm going to tell you some of the things that happened. And then we'll talk about like our other bookies recommendations for good plot points and and good plot following. But this is a great case study in like what, what went wrong? (laughs) (laughs) What not to do. The Borderlands Princess. It is book one of the Stone Circle series. Okay. Um, and it is a it is tagged as a romantic fae fantasy. Now, for those Stan girlies out there who love a book, love to pick it up, but maybe haven't dabbled into the fantasy space in a while, um, maybe you left us at Twilight, which fair, babe. <laughs> fair. fair. <laughs> and you're coming back. <laughs> and you're coming back. Uh, fae are, they're at. They're the new thing. They're and hit. I will tell you, I am the conductor of that train. Chew freaking chew. <laughs> I <laughs> absolutely love it. So just to give you a bit of lore, fae are usually loosely adapted from fairies. So like very traditional kind of mythology and folklore around fairies. Mm-hmm. Slash, you get, you get into the elf space. So they've just got kind of pointy ears and some form of magic. And then they don't really have any other fairy elements. They don't have wings, you know. There's kind of a spectrum of of how exactly you treat fae. Um, But generally, they are much more attractive than humans, obviously. Um, (laughs) How are you going to get someone invested? Make them hotter. Um, (laughs) Works for me every time. (laughs) Works every time. So they are much more attractive than humans. They tend to have um, really, like, elegant elaborate features so instead of just like a strong jaw they'll have like a jaw that can cut glass you know what i mean like it's, it's just like a little bit more Specific. so i just wanted to give you that background in case you're like what in the hell is a fae <laughs> you just keep saying that <laughs> and no one knows what it means but it's provocative so the borderlands princess is described thusly okay not everything is as it seems in fae i'm gonna stop you there if your world building didn't include coming up with a name for the place you're you're just you're naming the people group it's like inhuman i i don't love I, it for I, you. I thought the way you read it made me think she named it Faye, but she spelled it differently or she spelled mm-hmm. it the same sure okay. didn't she's F-A-E, referring Faye. okay mm-hmm. okay a choice so the land one. the land of the fay is called Faye. <laughs> no notes So I'm going to read you the book description and then we'll get into what happened. Okay. What her people need or what her heart wants. Destined to unite the war-torn kingdoms of humans and fae, Princess Sorsha must do her duty, but her heart has other ideas. The road to fae lands is long and her fae escort, Lord Connell, is handsome, dashing, and brave. All things a loyal knight should be. He's not a knight. Anyway. (laughs) Yet no fae wants a human queen. And more wars on the horizon. There is a historical war that you don't get an intro to. But anyway. Great. Uh, her betrothed, Sorsha's, High King of the Fae, has secrets of his own. And she's not sure that he's her destiny. But her handsome knight and her heart will have to stand aside. For the princess has a duty. Her people need this alliance. Until terrible secrets are exposed. And the princess must choose 
between upholding her duty or following her dreams. One mistake, one wrong choice, and it's not just her heart that will suffer. It's her entire kingdom. Sure. Now let me walk you through this, <laughs> okay? I walked in and there were recommendations. Okay. There were, there were a number of reviews. <laughs> there were betrayal, <laughs> right the jail, right away. <laughs> there were a number of people, not just on BookTok, but also on like Goodreads who'd rated this like four or five stars. Really enjoyed it, loved it. Even some people going so far as to say the world building was good, which immediately disagree. Queen, what, what world? What ma'am? World, ma'am. Tell me the world of fame. So, <laughs> make it make sense. So the first things that Sweet Ophelia does is mm-hmm. give you a prelude into Ophelia's life, into Ophelia's life, into Sorcia's life by dropping you into her current day. So she's riding on the road to Faye to meet her betrothed for the first time. Mm, Find her in a carriage. She then has like a back reflection on a personal tragedy that happened when her caretaker, like her nursemaid, um, was killed by the Faye. A personal tragedy, you say? Did someone say personal tragedy? I'm there. Um, But you're not told why. You're just told that nameless faceless fae of seemingly like uh, more bestial characteristics so a lot of other things that happen in fae is that they lean into the fairy side so there's like a seely and unseely and really mm. what that comes down to most of the time is like human like humanoid um and then like some sort of a shift there, there's some sort of a creature that they become or they have creature like elements sure horns tails etc claws etc etc so Anyway, she, she, her nursemaid is like killed um, a few years ago. She's remembering this nursemaid with a lot of um, bitterness, a lot of bitter mems. Uh, and she's in this carriage surrounded by Faye going, what's my life going to be like? So the, the author's next thing is to tell you that she has a very treasured necklace that is very important to her that like warms against her skin, which if you're a magic reader, you know, that means there's some kind of magic in the stone. Okay. <laughs> most magical stones they heat they heat to the touch or they're they're ice cold you know there's some kind of a temperature change that <laughs> power because most of the time you're not like so her necklace was there you know it, it glows it like changes temperature the necklace has to do something otherwise you're like and all of a sudden because of her necklace she was able to jump over a building and that's the real truth behind superman kids so <laughs> <laughs> anyway um so Sorsha is set upon by a group of Fae, but the guards in her little troop seem to know about it because they're like, this needs to look believable, blah, 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 blah. So she's set upon, you know, the plot unfolds that essentially en route to a life change, she is attacked and she has to flee into the woods and escape. She's then found by Lord Connell, who rescues her from this set uponment <gasps> and is trying to take her to the king to await her destiny to keep the treaty to the people. Now, what you learn as you keep going is that the humans and Fae had some sort of a war called, um, I think it was the border wars. So where the border was, hence the war. Sure. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. also a lot of importance placed upon like stone circles. Stone circles are really important. They have a lot of magic in them, a lot of magic potential. 
And then you basically get nothing else about that throughout the rest of the book. Like, why are the stone circles important? They hold a lot of magic sometimes, maybe. Who knows? Cool. Who knows? Um, sometimes they can be used for travel. Hashtag Outlander. You know, whatever. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, I won't go too far into the depths of the plot. But here's the thing that killed me. Okay. And it is a, it's a combination of a lack of character development in addition to a lack of plot. So obviously, as you'll get from the book jacket, she and Lord Connell start to have this like some sort of kind of romance building. Lord Connell doesn't have a first name. Lord okay? Connell. The short, the shortened version is Connell. You never get a name. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Fine. So you, you keep progressing through and you find out that he is the guardian of the borderlands. Um, and, and that's like his territory. So that's why he's, he's specifically escorting her. Um, and he's protecting her and all that. Um, I won't reveal the next part, but essentially at a certain point, there is a faded mate trope in this book. And the man finds out first. So the male character understands that Sorsha is his mate innately. And essentially it's like, I felt a sudden tug and I knew she was my mate. Mm -hmm. Which if you understand the mating trope, there is supposed to be this either immediacy, like big boom, almost atomic effect of like the first time you see them, it's like, bang, th this is it. Like the whole point of the, of the trope is essentially that it's a cataclysmic shift. You cannot help but be destiny entwined to be together. The other thing that happens is like the slow, gradual tick of like, typically with enemies to lovers, I can't stand you, but I feel drawn to you. I don't know why. I'm not going to ask questions. I hate you. Anyway, so, <laughs> um, and then eventually you're like, oh my God. And so he's like kind of my boyfriend right now. <laughs> so basically you, you come to the point like where you're like, we're like texting and stuff. <laughs> you're like, actually, don't hate him anymore. Fun fact. So it, it's a gradual kind of understanding that snaps into place. And then usually there's some kind of a ritual to either accept it or reject it. Sure. Anyway. <laughs> so the man finds out that this is his fated mate um, and doesn't tell Sorsha. Um, on Sorsha's end, <laughs> rude. There's a lot of plot that happens. There's a lot of things that unfold. Um, and then someone just tells her that by the by, the man is <laughs> genuinely, it's so you know that mm -hmm, is your mate, right? And immediately she snaps into this understanding of number one, as a human, understanding what a faded mate is. Number two, you know, no context. Number two, totally accepting that this bond exists and then explaining her own feelings over the course of weeks, months as a part of that. Number three, totally accepting that this is going to like completely and inexorably alter her destiny. Vibes. Cool. And then the, the thing that really got me, uh, and the first time it happened, I was like, oh, okay, this, this is just happening. Um, you know, th this won't happen again. Th this is just a, an initial thing. And basically, it's their meet cute. And 
obviously he he's rescued her he gets her to to safety he makes sure that her wounds are healed um and then as she notices that he's very attractive he says see something you like and at first it's like how cute quippy fun and she says don't flatter yourself now prepare thyself to read this for the rest of the book okay every time he catches her staring the line doesn't change he has one button that he pushes it's see something you like <laughs> and she goes don't flatter yourself it's a really fun game of catch that we're playing and the reason that it's a plot problem as well as a character development problem is that it means number one your relationship has always had one note just one yes mm -hmm. and then number two it's a character problem because there's never any depth to the conversation there's never a progression there's never a change it's just like and like just the fact that it's consistently repeated the whole time there's never there's never any difference between it and i'll i'll let you respond to this and i'll find a specific quote to read you because i would normally read emma a quote from the book um to give her her honest reaction to the writing uh, which is almost always hilarious. But so what are you feeling at this moment? What are what are you going through? My first thought when you say like every decision seems to be lying in Sorsha's hands. And I have to wonder what is the Fae Kingdom getting out of an alliance with a human? Like they had the war. Does she ever establish there is like something in it for them beyond like because it sounds like her kingdom really needs it her people really need this alliance to survive because they were ravaged by this war with the fae what did the fae get out of it the fae had so they do the um oath trope so uh the fae king swore an oath an unbreakable oath you you can't you can't break it it's unbreakable that's how unbreakable oaths work uh <laughs> Welcome to the dictionary. Uh, but basically that it's an unbreakable vow. So he has to abide by the terms of the treaty. He can't violate them or he'll die. I mean, it's not that, I mean, obviously this has been done and I think it's fine if it's a subplot as like someone's taken an unbreakable vow and therefore like, like if Lord Connell had taken an unbreakable vow to protect Sorsha and maybe if they had like hated each other and it had been really difficult for him, that would have been interesting because he has no choice but to uphold his end of the bargain to save his own life. And therefore you open the option of like them developing feelings if that happens, whatever. However, I find it just to be like a weak catch-all when you make it that like one of the two primary individuals of the novel, one of them is only keeping up their promise because they promise to. You know, and like, I get like, but, but it's a pinky promise. I hear you. I hear you. And like, because to me, it's just like, especially if you're coming and describing Faye, I'm thinking, oh, he's tricking her somehow. Right. And then it sounds like, I don't know, maybe that does happen. I don't know. But I'm Who just saying, say? I'm just saying to me, it's like, I would, as a reader, need more than that as to why these immortal, all powerful beings are allowing themselves to like have a human queen because that's like, across the board in fey faithology to be a bad thing in fadum in fadum yeah in fey it's a bad thing 
Well, and and it's because, you know, typically Fae are immortal or have exceptionally long lifespans. Yeah. So there's an inherent problem plot-wise if you have an immortal person with a mortal person because without question, the mortal is going to die before the immortal person does. Because that's how immortality works. Gosh, we're good. So, but you know what I mean? Like, they're going to... The hits just keep on coming. And the hits just keep on coming. And it's a parade of stupid and dumb. I am the one twirling the flaming baton. So, yeah, there's there's typically a problem in that, like, why would you go to all the trouble of having this person be king or queen for 40 years? And then everything goes back to the way it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, often, authors compensate that by having a routine sacrifice so i've i've read <laughs> you want another sacrifice please take a <laughs> sacrifice <laughs> so i've read um some books where like every 100 years for example they'll have um a new human shipped over the border via sure, fedex sure. or whoever their carrier of choice is fedex okay get out i'm gonna read to you this is only four percent into the book so this shouldn't be a spoiler to you she's she's just recovering Sorsha's just recovering from the attack in an inn um and i'm gonna i love that she found an inn in the forest i love that for her uh they found an inn okay (laughs) the whole little group of them um right okay oh princess no need to fret i'm with lord connell of course They scoff, waving off my concern with a flick of their wrist. The light catches their eyes as they walk to the other side of the room, a striking amethyst colour against dark skin, and their white hair shimmers with streaks of silver. Pointed ears and ethereal ease wrapped up in billowing robes. A figment of my imagination has come to life before my very eyes. I'm Thorn, royal healer, cousin to Connell, lord of the Borderlands, and the king's emissary. I hope you don't mind, but we found one of your nightdresses in your trunks and changed you whilst you were asleep. You were covered in mud and that awful phase blood. Oh, Lord Connell. What? Um, no. I... How? I exhale and sink down into the pillows. The shaking subsides slightly more as Thorn talks, but I still can't seem to get rid of the feeling of strong, large hands grabbing my body or the drivers of the coach talking about an accident happening to me on the way to the king. You're at the Land's End Inn, Princess, Thorn says with a chuckle. Land's End. Ha. Ha. Since we're so close to the border... Thorn looks at me expectantly, waiting for me to laugh. Never mind. Then, uh, the we was me and the owner's mate. Let's get you seen too, as I have to report back to Mr. Tight. Tight what, Thorn? Care to finish that thought? A gorgeous olive-skinned fay fills the doorway. He leans casually against the door jamb, muscular arms crossed over a broad chest. You never learn, by the way, what tight refers to. This nickname comes up more than once. You never learn. Great, great, great. <laughs> Finish the book for this reason. He leans casually against the door jam, muscular arms crossed over a broad chest. His jet black hair is tied at the nape of his neck, revealing an angular jaw covered in scruff. Piercing green eyes meet mine, and my heartbeat fills my ears. He cocks his head to the side and folds his arm over his chest, frowning. He asks gruffly, See something you like, princess? I flush a deep red and blurt out, I only have one working eye. I can't see much. Thorn laughs, which turns into a cough, and asks, How are you feeling, Sorsha? Thorn turns to me, forcing a break in the staring contest between me and this immensely gorgeous fae. I have an awful headache, and I can't see out of my eye, but still, all things considered, I feel okay? I answer. She doesn't sound too sure, Lord Connell says. He looks at Thorn from the jaw jam, with his head tilted and eyebrows raised. Haughtiness must be his default characteristic. 
Thorn leans down, sitting on the edge of my bed. I pull my legs closer to my body instinctively, putting more space between myself and the Fae. I mean, how are you feeling emotionally? You had a pretty intense experience. Oh, well that. I clear my throat, struggling to find the words for the anxiety that's threatening to shut me down. Uncomfortable with the quiet and the quiet focus that hangs on my every word, I take a deep breath, but it comes in stuttered gasps. Lord Connell rubs his jaw, the muscles in his forearm flexing with the movement and says, give it time, princess. His soft lilt catches in my head, goose flesh forming on my neck and down my arms as he lingers on my title. He steps into the room and leads against the window frame, staring down at me through hooded eyes. The light wraps around him with an early morning glow. He looks utterly breathtaking with the sunlight shining on his pointed ears. Lord Connell takes his time considering me as he looks over my beaten face, the bandages and the bruising on my arms. I lean forward to adjust the blankets around my feet, eager to shift his attention away from my injuries. The blankets fall away from my chest, exposing my décolletage and the peaks of my breast beneath the gauzy fabric. The Lord's attention shifts from my neck, my face to my chest, lingering. Pulling the blankets back up, I shift slightly, covering myself. See something you like, Lord Connell? I retort. Lord Connell tears his gaze away, back up to my face, and he tilts his head unamused. Correction, haughty and patronizing must be his default characteristics. I will tell you. This brief interlude, this is their whole relationship. They're going through the land. Seasoning you like? <laughs> Seasoning you like? I'm, so, Emma, I'm, I'm confused. <laughs> I am confused. I have to admit to you. And I'm confused. Been, is me. I haven't stuck on this since you started. So, first, I mean, I haven't, maybe you know who Thorne is because you read it. And I'm like, who the hell is Thorne? Okay, fine. He's That's one of the. That's how you meet them. Okay. She just knows their names. No, they introduce themselves. Okay. Right. I, I vaguely remember Thorne doing this. However, what confuses me is she says Lord Connell when Thorne is asking, like, oh, by the, by the way, we changed you or whatever, right? Doesn't she have like a, oh, Lord Connell, blah, blah, moment. But then the way she describes Lord Connell standing in the doorway, it sounds as though she's never met him before. She hasn't. So how does she know so, his name? Because Thorne said it. No, it's fine. It's fine. No, it's 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 not fine. Is the is the thing I'm trying to say. It's not fine. Hey, if you're gonna do character soup, at least tell me what's going into the broth, okay? Tell me. Um, and to be honest, that little that little dunk is exactly how the rest of the book goes. Excellent. There are so many different plot points that you get through, and you get nothing. You get absolutely nothing. And they do establish, like, once they establish who the villain is, they do establish, like, a, she does establish, like, a slight backstory for the villain. Like, the villain had a tragedy happen, as so many villains do. Listen. Hurting people hurt people. So, <laughs> um, I don't want to be the villain in your story. So, <laughs> the villain had, like, a tragedy happen. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they became embittered. And then, you know, plot ensues. But other than that, there's a lot of holes in terms of what happens. Um, a lot of like fey species, the author just introduces. So like if I said brownies to you, do you know what that means? Brownies like the dessert? Sure, sure isn't. Okay. So it's like <laughs> the best way to describe it. It's like a house elf, but if they were the mice from Cinderella with like gremlin bat wings <laughs> hang on so hang on yeah hang on she <laughs> hang on 
the the creature is called a brownie. A brownie. Mm-hmm. I have dessert aside. I have <laughs> even without the pud. I, I have some reservations over naming something after a color. I do. I find it to be problematic. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be my choice. It wouldn't be something I would Listen. do if it were me. That being said, the the real problem I have with it, apart from all of it, is that. Sorsha immediately knows about brownies, despite the fact that she's grown up in the human lands, where brownies, what kids, don't exist. exist. So although she's heard the lore around what kinds of creatures exist in Fae, (laughs) she's not the land. This is Glendale. In case you don't know, this is a Kardashians reference that everyone needs to know. (laughs) If you don't know any of them, this is the only one you need to know. This is the one. (laughs) This is the one that you need to know. Um, Kim popping out of the bushes, less iconic than this. (laughs) (laughs) It's the land of our people. This is not the land. Land. This is Glendale. Glendale. (laughs) So anyway, um, she, she knows a lot about all of these creatures, despite the fact that she's meant to not know as much. So it's just this weird juxtaposition. So the reason I brought it up, aside from just getting Emma's reaction, which is always a 10, uh, is is to point out that these kinds of things are number one the thing that makes suspending disbelief hard as a reader but number two weak plot points that mean that it's it's not going to get you to where you need to go mm-hmm. there's not enough of a backstory going into it and and exactly that that what you talked about you know why were the border wars so violent what what happened where like why would why would the treaty benefit both parties obviously the humans are like i don't want to die Get it, Stan? Heard sure, you. sure, sure. But, <laughs> but also like, the the reasoning is like humans had big weapons, so she never goes into she doesn't do the iron trope. It's just like humans had good weapons, and so they kept the fae back. But there's never I don't like a, you. a specific. <laughs> I'm gonna say it. <laughs> I don't believe you. Okay, um, I thought that was a great example. I think we should just name the other Rex because I don't think we have time to do plotty plot points for the other ones. So I'm going to just knock mine out because I only have two. So in these examples, these are plots that we think unfold well. So we are recommending them because they have good plot structures for various reasons. And or good plot twists. So mine are not current comps because if you know me, if you listen to the teaser, you know that I and I'm I I have to wonder where my fellow sufferers are when I am writing a book and I'm writing for when I'm writing I have a lot of trouble reading because it takes me out of my own writer space and I will start comparing and contrasting in a bad way and it just like and it's not that I don't want to read or I'm not interested in like current fantasy coming out and I think as a writer you have to read to understand what's current so there's a part of me that does it kind of almost reluctantly and it's really hard to slog through, not because they're not interesting, but et cetera, et cetera. My point is the books that Here's I have read thoroughly and I've read multiple times because I like them, they're not going to be current. So when you hear me name these, you're going to be like, these are old. Yes, but I think they're good examples. But also you're a comfort reader. You, yeah. She does this with shows too. It's the, it's the OCD kids. It's the OCD in but- there, there is a lot that you will reread that, for example, I oftentimes am a one time and done. I, I have a lot of one night stands with my books sure. and I'm okay with that. <laughs> um, but in addition to like, I think it's really common actually for 
authors to be like, hey, uh, I actually can't dive into another world or someone else's writing while I'm writing because it's kind of confusing. <laughs> but I think also there's a piece of it that's like, you tend to reread books because you know that you like them rather mm -hmm. than opting for something that is like a 50-50 or in your case, really, it's like a 20% chance. 80%, you're not going to like it. <laughs> like <laughs> Listen, uh, I am who I am. I sweet potato who is sweet potato. Okay, so... <clears throat> Good examples for me, and I use this mostly because I thought they had good plot twists that I, a seasoned reader might see coming, but I think there are some surprising elements in it that you might not. Like, there are some things you're like, of course, but other things you're like, oh my gosh, like, I could not have expected that. For me, it's Red Queen, specifically book one. Yeah. Yeah. And Ember in the Ashes, also specifically book one. I think those both contain plot twists in such a way that you're kind of like I would love how the author connected point a at the start of the book to point f towards the end of the book I think that's really unique I really like how they did that so those are mine yeah I I agree on red queen I think there's a lot of plot twists throughout the series actually that yeah you don't see coming which is always nice as a reader because I don't mind a plot twist that I see coming because it makes me feel smart so I'm like <laughs> I figured that out. I know that <laughs> and there's a great dopamine hit there okay there's a great dopamine hit there and we should not understate the importance of that but there is something to be said for like actually being shooketh in in terms of I I had no idea that that was going to happen so my reckies to no one's shock um one of them is going to be Sarah J Maas had to be done and specifically A Court of Thorns and Roses, because say what you want to say about Sarah, you're welcome to your opinions. Say what you want to say about other books, you're welcome to your opinions. I will say, I think empirically, the plot of A Court of Thorns and Roses, you didn't see most of the plot twists coming. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason that her authordom is so significant in the fantasy space because she does a great job of not just weaving together plots but actually weaving together plot twists that once you have the full picture it's actually a stunning plot twist it's not just like oh, i wasn't expecting that it's like oh, now all of these other things make sense and i wasn't expecting that so it's like a double whammy it's like a yes and Sure, so sure. have to recommend that. And also for that reason, Throne of Glass, because there's a lot of plot twists in Throne of Glass that happen. And um, a lot of it obviously is about Selena's journey as a person, who she becomes and, and kind of a full coming of age for her. But there are a lot of individual plot points and character plot twists that I didn't expect at all. Mm -hmm. um, so I really like that. I think Guild the series by Raven Kennedy is another great one in terms of, yes, it has a book talk stamp and I get that some of you are going to be like, ew. But <laughs> in terms of actual plot twists and where the narrative is going, you don't see a lot of it coming and it does take you genuinely by surprise. And you are kind of on the edge of your seat to see how it ends, how it goes, what what's going to happen next, what choices Oren's going to make. So I would recommend that. I would also recommend the Ash Princess series um, by Laura mm -hmm. Sebastian. Mm -hmm. I think, again, the way that she weaves the plot, you you have like the whole captor relationship. So you kind of expect at some point that she's going to break free or that something's going to change. But the exact way that it unfolds, there's a lot of really good plot points, I think. And also like, there's a great element of, I don't think all authors do betrayal very well. I think it's yeah. a very unique author that can execute a good betrayal where you're not like, 
I saw that coming 16 chapters ago. Like they were a crappy friend. They've been a crappy friend. And now all of a sudden they're selling you out. Like you Judas, like, of course they're going to sell you out. Like they are the worst friend. They're the friend who always leaves you at the nightclub after they promise to stay until the end of the night. You know, that person who's like, oh my God, I'll stay. I'll stay if you're staying. Are you staying? I'll stay. And then you turn around to get a drink, go to the bathroom, whatever happens. You turn back and Amber's gone. Okay. Amber abandoned you. <laughs> Amber has left the building. <laughs> she's she's out. She texted someone. She got an Uber. She's gone. So, <laughs> you know, so you should have seen that coming from Amber. Um, I think another great series that Emma and I both enjoy is uh, Furyborn by Claire Legrand. Um, I think that is a really good, the meta plot twists uh, are really great. And also the way that she goes through the plot, you really get a firm understanding of the world, what's happening and why the characters have to make choices. Um, couple more, Road of Bones by Demi Winter. It wasn't actually my favorite book in terms of like, it's not my preferred plot points, but there were a lot of twists and turns that I didn't expect as a reader, which is always pleasant. Um, then last recommendation for me, but it is dark. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. trigger warnings, be observed. You know, if you're like me and you're like, great, sign me up, sis, then you'll like this. If you are a person who doesn't like dark books, if the like everything was bad and then I got worse book is like too much for you, I hear you, don't read this. But this series, uh, To Bleed a Crystal Bloom is really good. It's by Sarah A. Parker. And again, it's not just that the plot is interesting, it's not just that there are good twists. It's that all of it connects to like a huge aha moment, which is just really satisfying in books. It doesn't happen a lot. Most of the time it's like that person who it seemed like was possibly vaguely going to betray you two chapters ago did. And you're like, that completely impossible magic that shouldn't have been able to exist existed. <laughs> and you're like, um, and so all that to say, I will be, a double standard queen and say, I will still read books like that. Like I, I'm much more forgiving than Emma is. I will not, um, I won't be RCPing to that party. You won't do it. She, <laughs> she's, she's leaving you on red. But the reason for it is because if you are creative, if you have a great kind of unfolding plot, even if I can predict it, or even if your characters aren't a 10 for me, I can still, I can still jump on board. So I think this has roughly been kind of the length of war and peace i think we've probably <laughs> think covered you probably have smashed everest and you're you moved on to kilimanjaro <laughs> and you're like who where should i go next where should i go i've got which mountain i have half an episode left what's my third mountain <laughs> you know um and we like to think of these as chapters you know <laughs> one more chapter you know <clears throat> so, so thanks for being in the one more chapter club with us i have actually loved this episode and Me too. lots of fun praying to every deity that will listen that it nothing bad happens that we can actually get into you please 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 please, please. <sighs> sweet baby jesus please let it be so without further ado i am hannah and i am emma and this was literarily speaking and we'll literally see you next time literally.